Praise the Lord for that. I'm David Bennett. I just wanted to say greetings. Glad you're here. And just a thought, I do this often with the life group. I'll let you help me finish it. It's the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Praise the Lord. We've got a lot to rejoice for. I personally am re rejoicing that I'm part of the disciple-making team. And good to see all the leadership here. And I was thinking about it. We just heard about the mission statement. Love God. Love people. Share Jesus. And make disciples. So we're part of that. Part of all that. We're especially a part of the last part of it. So glad to see y'all here. Brother Drew already prayed for our food, so I was going to do that. But I'll say thank the Lord for the food. Hallelujah. Glad to see y'all. I'm going to turn this over to Bill Street, and we got some exciting things we're going to hear tonight. Amen. Thank you very much, David Bennett. David Bennett was in the very first group of uh, folks that I ever discipled here at Bellevue. And he is one of those folks that has like eight generations of uh, people that he has discipled. Not just that he's done it eight times, but has discipled people that have discipled other people that have discipled other people. As you are eating, and I'm glad you are a talented group, you can do two things at the same time. You can eat and listen. And uh, as Drew was talking about, you want to listen carefully because uh, it's just a good thing to do. Let me share some options that we want to put before you in our discipleship process. Uh, and I, the things that I'm going to show you, we have copies uh, for you over here on the resource table afterwards. The very first one is, uh, we got this from Lifeway. It's called The Beginnings, First Steps for New Disciples. It is a five-week study uh, that is designed for somebody that is brand new in the faith. They just got saved. They may not know the Old Testament from the New Testament, and, uh, you know, they sin and think they lose their salvation. This is to help them with that. Several things that it does. First of all, it helps us connect with people who join who maybe aren't quite ready yet to take that step into a life group. I don't know those people. What's that going to be like? Uh, but as they get a call from a member and tells who would tell them, hey, we have a gift for you. Uh, and so we encourage you to meet with them. Uh, David has been doing some of that. I think Susanna uh, has done that with some people. So it helps us connect with new believers. It gets them started, secondly, on the road to discipleship. And then also, for those of you who say, I'm looking uh, for someone to disciple, it gives you someone that you can connect with and begin to take that process of discipleship and growth with them. Uh, the second thing that we have is what we call our four-by-four four discipleship process. If I can remember all of this, it uh, involves the four vision frame, the four parts of the vision frame, and the 16 measures. It's that four aspects in four months. We read through four books of the Bible, and we memorize four verses of Scripture. Uh, again, it is a great thing for somebody that is just not ready to make a commitment to a year-long discipleship process. We go over the 16 measures, four aspects of the vision frame, and we have copies of uh, that for you over there of the first four weeks. Uh, the, the, what does it look like for those measures? Uh, love God. 
And so we've got that over there for you also. Uh, the third thing that we have, our one-year process, we basically have not tweaked that this year. Uh, sometimes we do. We don't tweak it. Just We don't change it just for the sake of change. There are times that we will change that because we feel like as we do this, it's something that's going to make it better. Uh, but we have all of the things that we have passed out before as far as the one-year process, sharing your testimony, uh, following Jesus. And then last of all, this, this thing I really want to encourage you, and again, we've got all of this over here, multiplying disciple makers. It's the part about cultivating people for discipleship. Because people are always asking, and we always like to help. Do you have somebody that, that I can disciple? Uh, what well, as we do, we love to connect them with you. Uh, but if we don't, then we have some steps in here for you to cultivate people for discipleship the same way Jesus cultivated people for discipleship. And we think that uh, is a very helpful thing. And then, of course, the last aspect or the last one is our one-year chronological Bible study process that Donna and many other ladies are using. There's copies of that over there also. Second thing I want to go over with you real quick, too, is some meeting time options. With our emphasis upon groups, discipleship groups can now meet anytime. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and that's a big change. Uh, before, if somebody said, can we meet on Sunday morning? I'd say, well, it's not really proved a whole lot. If there's a closet somewhere, then, you know, you might could sneak into that. But that is now something that if you want to have a discipleship group on Sunday morning, if you want to have one on Wednesday night, and basically any time the church is open, uh, there is a good chance that we can get you a room to meet in that discipleship process. Third thing is attendance. The new Bellevue app allows you to take attendance in your group. Uh, it's a neat thing. Once you get it downloaded on your phone, the Bellevue app, then you can take attendance in your group. It takes 30 seconds, if that long. You just pull it up, and boom, 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 and it is done. Um, the instructions for how to do that are on the disciple-making part of the Bellevue homepage. You just go there. There's a video. There's some steps that will walk you through there. One of the things it helps us to do is to know when our group's finished. With our group starting all the time, uh, you may, your group may have started January of last year. And it's hard for us to know sometimes when is a group finished. Uh, looking at that app sometimes helps us to know, okay, uh, a group may be finished. Now, we're not checking up on you week by week, and if y'all want to take a couple of weeks off or whatever, uh, nobody's looking over your shoulder with that, okay? It's not us trying to check up on you. It's just us trying to keep up with you and what you're doing. So that really helps us to take attendance. Uh, the last thing is we have a gift for you. There are three different books over there, and all of those books, I know from, from my point, from personally, those are all books in the last year or so that are changing my life. They really are. Those are books that I'm reading either the second or the third time. Uh, some of them I'm really journaling through. I'm taking it just in a small bits, really asking the Lord to speak to me. 
the first one is Winning the War in Your Mind. It's by Pastor Craig Groeschel. He's pastor of the Life Church. I don't even know how all that works, this big, huge network of tens of thousands of people and churches. Uh, but Craig is a, a, a great guy, Bible scholar, extremely honest and open and transparent in this book. You will read it and say, there is hope. This guy is as messed up as I am, uh, but he's really striving for the Lord. And so it is a, it is a very, very encouraging book, really dealing with our thoughts. It's very fresh. And I wish I had time to go into telling you how the Lord has been using it in my life, uh, but I don't have time for that. But I'll say it is a great book. The second one is a book called Atomic Habits. It's not written by a Christian author. It is not a Christian book as far as, you know, just filled with Scripture. It's not in there. However, uh, it is a book filled with God's truth, a great book. Uh, a good friend of ours, David Jett, gave it to myself and Brother Steve uh, a, a while back, and it is a tremendous book. It's ha been having a great impact uh, upon my life. Let me just give you uh, two statements. There are more. A habit must be established before it can be improved. <clears throat> we just talks about make, start small. You got to get this habit, get it established in your life before you try to improve it. Many times we just jump in, I want to lose 40 pounds this year, and you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, the second one is, he makes a statement, habits are like the entrance. This is after he says 40 to 60% of our life is just lived in, in daily habits. We just do what we have done and we live that way. Habits are like the entrance ramp to a highway. They lead you down a path, and before you know it, you're speeding towards the next behavior. Again, a very, very, very helpful book in my life. In my life. And the third one is Future Church. It's written by Will Mancini, uh, who's the church consultant that really guided us through the vision frame. And he makes several statements in here. The church in North America is dramatically over-programmed and under-discipled. He asked the question, are we making disciples or faking disciples? And then he makes another statement. He talks about the vision frame, and he says it's all good. And uh, I do not believe the vision frame has been fatally flawed. And he goes on and talks about that. He says, but yet sometimes we have helped people appreciate and even personalize the disciple-making words of Jesus but that has not automatically propelled them into the disciple-making works of Jesus. So those are all over there. Just take your pick, and I can assure you, whichever one you want, if yours is gone by the time uh, you get over there, uh, the others are good. And if you've just got to have the other one, come see me afterwards, and we'll see what we can do. Tonight, this is what I really wanted to get uh, down to. I want to ask you a question, one that will need uh, some clarification along the way, but an extremely important question, and that is, will you be a Nehemiah? Will you be 
uh, Nehemiah. I start with a statement that I, can, I believe I can back up if you'll give me just a moment, and that is this. The church in America, the wall has been torn down. You say, well, Bill, why, why would you say that? Where, where did that come from? Let me just kind of share some st statistics with you. First, according to the Pew Research Center and a survey done in 2019, that's pre-COVID. Uh, can you see that over here too? No. no? Can we turn that one on over there? This one is on over here, right? Yes. Uh, according to a survey done in 2019, the uh, Pew Research Center, in 2019, 65 of adult Americans identified themselves as Christians. And you might say, well, that's pretty good. And it might be, the only problem is, it's down 12% from 2009. In 2009, 77% of Americans identified themselves as Christians. See what's happened in one decade. Second, the number, who, the number of people who describe themselves as agnostics, or it's really atheists or nothing in particular. In 2019, that number is 26% of the American population. And you said, well, that's not good. And I say that is especially true when you realize that in 2009, 17% of Americans describe themselves as agnostic, atheists, or none of the, the above. That is up 9% in one decade. Uh, the people who come to church, they're not as committed as they used to be. In 2009, regular worship attenders, those who attend religious services at least once or twice a month, outnumbered those who attended services only regularly by a 52 to 47% margin. In other words, in 2009, 52% of the people at church were there once or twice a month. 47 were there every once in a while. That number is now reversed. In 2019, and again, this is pre-COVID, those numbers are reversed. More Americans say they attend religious services a few times a year, 54%, then say they attend at least monthly, and that's 45%. They didn't even ask who goes weekly. <laughs> you know, they used to give out the pins, you know. I was here every week, either at my church or, you know, wherever, if I was on vacation. And to encourage, to continue our encouraging news, <clears throat> most of the faithful believers are getting older and dying off. 84% of the silent generation, people born between 1928 and 1945, 75 years of age and older, describe themselves as Christians. That's 84%. 76% of baby boomers describe themselves as Christians. Millennials, 49% describe themselves as Christians, while 40% describe themselves as nothing at all. Notice that huge gap. 84% of that older generation, silent generation, 76 of, of baby boomers, that's down 8% from the one above. Millennials, 49%. That's down 27% from baby boomers. 
According to a Gallup poll, Americans' membership in houses of worship dropped below 50% for the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has been recording that number. House of worship is church, synagogue, or mosque. It was 73% in 1937 and remained near 70% for the next six decades taking a downturn in 2000 and dropping 20% in a couple of decades. And that's pre-COVID, I'm almost positive. Our impact in society, you say, well, Bill, that's just impact in society. Uh, or the statistics, how about our impact in society? I mean, no, do I need to even say? You know, I mean, the, 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 the church and God are either hated or ignored uh, despised or rejected or whatever at this point in time in American society. We're out of sight and out of mind. Now, I want to encourage you. Now, <laughs> you say you're not doing a good job. Uh, I want to encourage you. The Lord is going to build his church, okay? The church is here. The church isn't going anywhere. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. When the Lord comes back, there may not be anything else here, but the church is going to be here, Okay? So don't be doom and gloom about that. The church is going to be here, but there is work to do. The walls have been torn down in many ways. There is a mess that is here in the American church. But when that happens, God raises up a Nehemiah. And that's my challenge to you, and that is that God is calling you to be a Nehemiah a wall builder. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Chizeb, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the, at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, let me just say, we are in somewhat of an insulated position we go to not only uh, a large church, but we go to a church where we have awesome worship services, where we meet with God in a, in a living way, where we see people joining the church and getting baptized almost every Sunday. We live in a church that has an impact on Memphis. 
But we are part of a church in America that are like the proverbial frog in the blender that is slowly being boiled alive. The walls have crumbled. Things are caving in around us. And it's time for us to wake up. And not just for us. It's not just about us. It is about doing the right and godly thing Somebody quoted this verse to me just today. To whom much is given, what? Much is required. We want to be a catalyst. It's not about just kind of, you know, getting along. It's about being a catalyst for spiritual awakening in Memphis and beyond. There are things that as people go forth from here and, and, and as other churches talk to us and we have an impact, uh, you know, that, that, that people say, oh, this is, this is what we are doing. This is what God is doing here. And that there are testimonies to, to share. We are in a position of responsibility. Statistics show, and we see the downward slide in America, that in, uh, in America what the church has been doing is not working. I mean, we just see that by the statistics and the impact. We see the decay. We see the secularism. We see the paganism. God said, be fruitful and multiply. We are not multiplying. Church is not multiplying. We may at times in ways do a decent job of addition, but we are not multiplying. I love the statement by Robert Coleman in the Master Plan of Evangelism that Jesus moved on earth with a deliberate strategy of evangelism is a fact about which there can be little question. He kept clearly before him the fact that he had come to seek and save that which was lost. He ordered his life by this objective, all Jesus ever said and did was part of the divine strategy of evangelism for him. But the concept the church of today must never overlook is that as he was executing his plan, he was setting forth a strategy of evangelism for his church for all time. Consequently, it is not the task of the church to invent a new strategy. Our task is to rediscover His and to get in step with it. And let me just say, and I don't know if I get this in the right order, but it was just a thing that happened. Pastor was in this, uh, uh, the thing downstairs talking about evangelism. The lady who delivered our food today uh, from Corky's, hope you enjoyed that, uh, you know, came in and, and, and I, was, I was saved in a church. I got saved in July of 1976. I was out sharing Jesus by October or September and had won my first person to the Lord probably easily within the first six or eight months or so that, that I was saved. Uh, went to Mid-America Seminary and the whole thing of soul winning was just instilled, dis disciplined into my life. I don't know if something can get disciplined into your life, but it was pounded into my life. You didn't get your grades unless you witnessed eight people in a quarter. So... It just became, not because of anything about me, but, be, but because of discipline and because I was discipled to do that. Lady comes in and I'm immediately, I said, something, have you ever been to Bellevue before? Nope, never have. Ding, 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 ding. 
uh, then I'm trying to figure out how do I talk, how do we get this up, uh, and, and it can't quite get there. And so then I, I think I asked her point blank as she was putting the food down. I said, uh, uh, do you, where did, can I ask, do you go to church anywhere? She said, I go to a synagogue. I went, oh, I have some Jewish friends that I love. That is fantastic. And uh, so as, as we are talking, as we are going down the um, stairs, thinking, okay, Lord, how do I do this? Um, and I said, well, let me just ask you a question. I said, I, I don't want to offend you. And if you're uncomfortable, you say, I don't want to answer the question. Uh, I said, what do you think about Jesus? Who was he? She said, oh, he was a, a great prophet. I said, yeah, he was. I said, do you believe, as we're going down the steps, getting real close to the car, I said, do you believe he died on a cross? She said, yeah, I think he did. I said, okay, $64,000 question. Did he arise from the grave on the third day? She said, oh, wow. I don't know. I said, that's the thing about Jesus. Was he a liar? Was he Lord? Was he lunatic? Who exactly was he? And she's kind of nodding her head, but walking on... And I said something. I shared my testimony with her just real, real quick. And she was walking on. I could tell she was in a hurry. And I said, thank you very much for listening. I, I really do appreciate it. And I don't want to, I didn't, hopefully I don't want to offend you. She said, no, you didn't. She said, thank you very, very much for sharing that. Can I tell you the only reason I did that is not because I'm some good person. It is not because I am a minister because I have missed those opportunities. It is because it was because I was discipled. I was trained. It, it was just part of, 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 of who you are as a Christian. And then the second part of that is you have to have a fullness of the Spirit of God. I've missed witnessing opportunities before just because I was just selfish and self-centered and thinking about me. But if you have a full life and, a, and the Spirit of God is moving, then there are opportunities to do that. I talked with, Rob, talk with Robbie Gallaty and Will Mancini recently about the question, when did the disciple wall fall down? When did that wall, when did the church stop doing that? Ah, I wish I could get into all that they said, and it's a big, huge topic. We don't have time to do that. But basically, both of them said, kind of gave the same answer, said it started with Constantine in about 380 A.D. when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Then all of a sudden what was once pagan temples is now uh, Christian places of worship, but without the life and without the power and without the truth of God in them. There was a form of godliness that denied the power thereof. The second thing that, that they both said is that the Reformation did a lot of awesome things, but it did not transform the pattern of cultural Christianity into a culture of multiplying disciple makers. Let me kind of try to put all that together in, 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 in this and in using one illustration in the importance of discipleship. I think the, the, and it's a sports metaphor, so don't laugh, okay? I think, Bobby, don't laugh. I think the, what we do as a church is a lot like the game of golf. And that's this. There are basically three main clubs in the, in the thing of golf. You have a driver, you have irons, and you have a putter. 
You have a driver that is a, 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 a golf club that is designed to, 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 to give a lot of power. And I think that is our worship services. And by the grace of God, we have powerful preaching and we have powerful worship. Well, Bobby, you played a lot of golf. How many times have you used that driver and you got a hole in one? Never. Never. Okay. You did, you, it's designed, you do a whole lot of good, but you've got to realize what the goal is. The goal when you're out playing golf is to hit the ball uh, fr from the tee into the hole in as few strokes as possible. Now, if you're going out there and you're just kind of hitting the ball around, you know, everywhere you want to, or you're, you know, I don't know, maybe you're having fun, but you're, you're not really, you're not focused in on what the, 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 the goal really is. And the same way for us as Christians, the goal of what God wants to do in the church is Christ-likeness. He wants us to be like Jesus. And he's going to use all the things. He's going to use the Word of God and circumstances and all of these things to conform us to the image of Christ. That's Romans 8, 28. It's probably one of the verses I think Pastor quoted this morning. 1 John uh, chapter 3, uh, it does not yet appear what we are, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul talks about how we're transformed from glory to glory, even into the image of the Lord. The goal of the church is to produce people who are like Jesus. So you got this club, this big powerful club, and there's power, and the thing is, the ball is moved down the, down, the, down the course. But then you have another thing. You have these irons. It's a different shaped club, more precise, and, and to do, a, to do a, a definite job. That's like our life groups. We have life groups. They're very precise. Age-graded teaching. You know, men's groups, women's groups, and also, you know, equip and men's, men's ministry and women's ministry and all the things that we do. And by the grace of God, God has breathed life and we do it well. All of those things are designed to, to move the ball closer to the cup. I'm picking on Bobby here. Bobby, how many times have you used an iron and, and the ball has gone in the hole? Seven. Seven times. Seven times. It does happen. There are times that, you know, that you can, can, can do that through life groups and through some of these other things. But it doesn't happen often. But the last thing, and the, that last part of the, of, the, of, the, of the analogy is a putter. And a putter's design is a very specific club. It's a different shaped club to, to move the ball in a very precise way, in a short way, and to move it into the hole. And that's discipleship. That it is designed to, to, to help people come to the place of, 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 of Christ-likeness. Now let me say again, all of the parts are necessary. You can't, you can't putt well, you can't hit a ball 250 yards very well with a putter. You know, you, you, can't, you can't hit the ball 50 yards on the green with a driver. Uh, you can't putt very well with an iron. All of the parts of what we are doing here as a church are absolutely essential, but more and more we need people in, that are leading our discipleship groups like you to bring people to, the, to that, that last place of experiencing the reality of life in Christ. 
And that's the thing. I mean, that is, that, is, that is my heart. That is my passion. Discipleship groups, it's not just about going, checking off boxes, and we met this week, and we did something or another. It's about people coming together and experiencing the reality of God. You know, it's what, it's what the pastor was talking about, that there are, are times that, you know, you, you, you need that, that transparency about people coming together and taking off the mask and, and having those sometimes difficult conversations. I, I, could, I couldn't even begin to tell you all the experiences that I've had and that I've heard uh, about people. Uh, a, a man comes to mind that in one of our groups that, that uh, someone was telling me about that, you know, a, a man said, as we're reading the Bible, he said, I keep reading the Bible and nothing happens. You know, I don't know, what, you know, y'all keep coming in with all this stuff and what about me? And the leader said, well, when, before you read the Bible, do you ask the Lord to, to speak to you? Well, no, I've never done that. And then, you know, I came in next week and all of a sudden, you know, got pages of notes of what God has said. I could tell you about someone else that uh, in, in the whole thing of learning to be a witness that it was something he didn't want to do. But through that small group of accountability, it ended up being something that became a strength in his life. Our discipleship groups, again, it, 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 is about, it is about confessing sin. It is about breaking strongholds. It is about weeping. It is about caring. It is about relationships. It is about shepherding. Uh, it is all of those things. The wall of disciple makers needs to be rebuilt in the American church. May we be a Nehemiah. I want to point out, Real quickly, four truths about being a Nehemiah. Rebuilding the literal walls of Jerusalem and the walls of multiplying disciple makers. Number one, it is a decision you must personally embrace. Nehemiah alone made this decision. It wasn't a committee thing. Nobody put him on the spot. They just shared some information with him. And Nehemiah was moved by the Spirit of God, by the need, by the Word of God. To respond in the same way, in all honesty, I started to say apart from me, but there's probably some others. There aren't too many people that are going to twist your arm, uh, you know, to be a disciple maker. Okay? You, you will hear some things about it. Um, it's got to be something that, that you have to embrace. It has to, and it's not just coming tonight and checking a box on a card. If it's going to happen, it is because you say, this is the will of God, and I am embracing it. Second of all, it is not easy. Nehemiah embraced by himself. There was nobody else there that, that we have any indication that responded to this. A massive undertaking. Uh, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to go rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. How am I going to do that, Lord? But of course, he sat down, he prayed, he sought God, but it was just him. Um, we know the rest of the story, so we lose part of the tension and the questions. In the same way, leading out and multiplying disciple makers is not easy. I'm just, I'm, we'll tell you the truth. You will have people that will tell you, I don't have the time. You will have people that will tell you, I don't like to read. Uh, 
I don't like to get up that early. I don't like to stay out that late. There are barriers. As Nehemiah had huge barriers to overcome, if you're going to be somebody that really rebuilds that wall, it's not going to be easy. Number three, uh, it will get you out of your comfort zone. Chapter 2, we see Nehemiah put his job and his life on the line by having an uncomfortable conversation with the most powerful man in the world, the king. In the same way, if you're going to rebuild that wall, you will end up having some uncomfortable conversations with people. I'm just telling you. I mean, I can think about a man that approached another man to be in his group said, I don't even know if this guy hardly knows who I am. He is way, you know, superior to me and all these different kinds of things. I don't even know how to do it. He approached him and with fear and trembling, the guy said, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, it may be you as a disciple maker say, our life group just doesn't have much emphasis upon this. I mean, you know, we have great teaching and all that kind of stuff, but we really don't focus on this. So if I do this, you know, I'm probably going to have to try to, in humility, but courage, talk to my life group leader and say, can we, uh, can we put this more on the, on the front burner? And you may say, I don't know. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and as you lead a group, I can tell you I know uh, some men right now that are leading a group. One of the guys in there has a struggle, a, a struggle he's had for decades. And if he does not report to these guys that are leading his group every morning by 8 o'clock, he gets a text or a phone call saying, you said you wanted to be accountable. It's time to step up to the plate. At times, the man sending the text is very grateful at times, he's not. And so, it has been a, uh, it is an interesting time. I can tell you about another man who's leading a group, and there is a man in his group that he's just been a jerk on a consistent basis to his wife. And it's not a bad word. I didn't say a bad word, did I? Okay. Uh, I'm just saying, that's about the best way I know. He's just, he's really been a jerk to, to his wife. And, uh, and so, we found out, and so, he said, I'm going to go talk to him and say, you can't do this. You, you, you're a Christian and you want to be who God wants you to be and you're treating your wife like that. Uh, and it wasn't a fun conversation uh, at first, but that man has, has said, okay, you are right, you are right. Jesus did not promise us a couch, okay? He promised us a cross. If you want to have the results Jesus did with his disciples, you need to have the relationship Jesus did with his disciples. You need to have a connection. You need to have a love. You need, they need to know you care. People don't care how much you know to them. They know how much you care. But if they know you care, they will listen to you. And we need that. Last of all, it is a lifelong journey. Nehemiah went on a 800-mile journey. That's about 40 days riding on a camel. And if you've ever ridden on one, it is not a joy ride. I've ridden on a camel. I would not want to ride on one for 40 days. 800 miles, 40 days on a camel, one way to Jerusalem. To a place he'd never been to before to see people he'd never seen. 
to lead them to do something none of them had ever done, surrounded by people who violently opposed and laughed at him. And I will tell you that discipleship, multiplying disciple makers, it is a journey, it is a lifelong journey, and it is not a one and done thing. You can do the one and done thing. You know, you can do that. But to really be all that God wants you to be, it's being that leader. Which leads us to this next thing. By the grace of God, this is, this is, say, why are we here tonight? What are you trying to say? This is it. Well, if you just said this, we could have been out a lot earlier. But uh, (laughs) by the grace of God, and I have a card out there. You can mark this on. If you're not ready to mark it, don't. By the grace of God, I see myself as a Nehemiah, a leader who is rebuilding the wall to multiply disciple makers and fulfill the Great Commission. That's my aspiration from this thing here. Uh, I pray, day, I, one of the prayers I pray every day, is bit, I can't remember the context of the verse. Day by day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. I want to see God raise up an army of, of men and women that want to rebuild that wall of multiplying disciple makers and it's just part of what you do and all the other stuff in the mission trips and serving and Bellevue loves Memphis and life groups and revival and choir and everything else it's there on your radar the great commission is not go be is not go be disciples that's not what it is it is go make disciples teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and that includes the command, go to make disciples. And if we're failing to produce people who multiply disciple makers, we are failing at the Great Commission. And I'll just say this. The heart, it, it, is, it, is, it is discipleship. It's, it's not just a course. It's not a Bible. Study. It is the reality of Christ living in and through you, and through others. I've asked two people who are Nehemiahs, that's just who they are, to come share a quick testimony about why they are Nehemiahs. Uh, the first one is Tanya Franks. Tanya is on staff here. She works with our adult ministry, and I cannot remember her specific title, but she will tell you when she comes up here. Uh, I didn't ask her to come do this because she's on staff here. I ask her to do it because there are a few people in this church that have the passion and the depth and the wisdom and the track record of multiplying disciple makers like Tanya and like her husband James, who is uh, out of town. After that, Bobby is going to come up here, Bobby Hancock, and share. Bobby has done, I think, everything at church except been on staff. Maybe you're on staff and I didn't even know it. Uh, he's been the deacon, chairman of deacons for every committee that we've had and, and all that kind of stuff and, and mission trips and all these other things. But he too has a passion for making disciples. So I've asked him to come and just to real briefly share with you, why uh, are you a Nehemiah? I'm Tanya Franks, and I'm the director of our Young Adults Ministry here at Bellevue. Um, And by the grace of God, I see myself as a Nehemiah, a leader rebuilding 
the wall to make disciple makers. Um, but if I'm honest, I just want to be a Nehemiah. I don't think I'm a Nehemiah yet. Um, I'm not here because I'm perfect, for sure. Um, we're all still learning on the journey. But I've told the Lord, if he'll go with me, I'll go and do whatever he says. But i got to have him to go with me. Um, so I think if we look around, I think the church today is doing a fairly good job of evangelizing. And I say the church, big C, not just Bellevue. But we're evangelizing, right? We're seeing people come to know the Lord. We heard in that video tonight about all the people who we're seeing here at Bellevue giving their lives to Christ, being baptized. That is amazing. Thank God for that. Amen. But what happens after that? We get them into the baptistry. That's awesome. They're getting baptized. And then it's so typical for us, all of us, to say, read your Bible every day. Pray. Live for Jesus. What in the world does that mean to a new believer? A new believer needs somebody to walk alongside them and show them this is the way to go. Stay in the Word. Show them what to do. Um, last, the last Explore 101, there was a lady, a young adult, who attended Explore 101 on, online. Um, not because she's afraid to come in, um, just because it was convenient. So she did the online thing. Her name is Miko. She wouldn't mind me sharing. She came to Life Group for the first time last Sunday. Um, last Sunday afternoon, we met. She prayed and received Christ. Today, we started one-to-one discipleship, new, new believer discipleship. Amen. Um, it's amazing, but this is why it's amazing. She's been reading in the book of John. So we're going through, and she says to me today, she says, so this means when I get to work tomorrow and I feel like exploding on my coworker, I need Jesus to give me self-control to not do that. Yes, that's what new believers need. They need to know it's the Lord helping them change their way of life and change their thinking but she needs somebody beside her to help her in those decisions. Um, we're seeing people return to the Lord. Maybe they've been away for a while, and that's awesome too. They've been a believer for a long time, but they're coming back to the Lord, and they really just want to live for him. They need people to walk alongside them too. Life is hard. It really is. Um, there was a girl that I met with last August, um, and that was kind of where she was. She had been away from the Lord during college and was coming back, and she was like, I just don't know how to do this thing. And I was like, you know what? Let's get plugged into community. Let's get plugged into life group. Let's get plugged in on Wednesday nights. And she has. She's a leader in our young adult ministry now. She's about to start her own discipleship groups in January. Um, the Lord is working in his people, but he wants people to come alongside um, to do that too. It's a big responsibility. They don't need me. They don't need you. They don't need any, the Lord doesn't need us, but he lets us be a part of his work. And I think that's pretty awesome that we get to be a part of that. Um, we get the honor of saying, don't model me, model Jesus. We don't want for people to model. I don't want anybody to act like I act, but I want people to act like Jesus acted. I want him to, I want to do that. I need to do better at that. And when I first started discipling, I had no idea what I was doing. I had, I've never been formally discipled. Um, I had sat under, or I studied Beth Moore a whole bunch, I sat under Jean Stockdale and Miss Donna, and I was like, all right, well, they've taught me, so here I go. Um, so bless those poor ladies that I first started with. Um, but I've learned a lot, and I'm still learning. There's a whole lot. We learn every year that we lead. We learn and learn. So here's some things that I found most important. There's seven things. One is stress consistency to the people that you're leading. Um, stress consistency, it's a big deal. Um, two, pray together. Amen. Pray for each other. Pray Amen. together. Amen. Um, pray together. Three, be accountable to Bible memory. 
That is my weakest, weakest link. It is my weakest, weakest link. And some of you who have been in my groups in here, you know it's my weakest link. Um, be accountable. We need that as much as they need that. Be accountable to the Bible memory. Um, teach the word. It is important. There is nothing more important than teaching the word to our people that we're discipling. Um, five, heavy on evangelism training. Amen. And then model it. You want to teach them. We heard, I believe it was Pastor talk about tonight. We want to train them well. We want to teach them and give them practical ways to share the gospel. But we got to model it for them, and we got to model it with them. And Bellevue is an awesome place to get to do that. With Backpack Giveaway, Bellevue Loves Memphis, so many opportunities that we can say, hey, come serve with us. Come serve, and let's do this together. Share the gospel with them sitting beside you, and then let them do it the next time. Practice. Like, do all of that. Um, constantly cast vision, but don't say you're casting vision because nobody likes to hear that, but constantly do it. So like all throughout the, when you first, first, first ask somebody, tell them. So next year you can teach others to teach others to teach others. Let them know from the front end. It's a big deal, but that's the expectation. It's not a Bible study. Bible studies are awesome, but this is a more intentional purpose. Amen. So constantly cast that vision. About midway through, um, Adrienne, where are you, Adrienne? Um, she co-leads with me in discipleship. And about midway through, we have our ladies start leading our group. So that by the time we get to the end of the year, they're comfortable leading. And then they're comfortable saying, okay, I can take my own group now. I'm not winging it on my own. So we walk through lessons with them if they need to, all those things. Um, but constantly cast that with when you get your group. That's how you cast it, when you get your group. Be praying. So we start, what, July, August, and we'll say, be praying about who the Lord wants you to disciple next Amen. year. Be praying. We're praying now. Who does the Lord want, to ha- want us to have? We have probably five ladies on our list. We don't know yet. We're just waiting for the Lord to show us. But always cast that vision. And then seven, allow opportunities to serve with them and let them teach. already talked about that. Um, Somebody told me a long time ago, look for fat people. And when I tell people, then they're like, what? Um, So faithful, available, and teachable. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you're looking at people to disciple, look for faithful people. I look for people who are faithful in the church already because they're showing I have a desire to grow. Look for people who are faithful in life group, um, faithful serving, some of those things. Available. Everybody doesn't have time. And you know what? If they're too busy, they're too busy and you can't force it. It has to be in the heart. They have to want it enough. We all have time to do what we want to do. Um, so available. And then teachable. We, are all, we all have to be teachable. We all need to be learning every single day. Um, and then be up front when you ask. So that's the hardest part is like asking. One is figuring out who. And then two, asking. But be up front. It's not easy. It's not a, okay, maybe I'm going to pray about it, you know, whatever. Well, pray about it. But, like, let them know it's a big commitment. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's not just, okay, I might, if I, if I can this week, I'll be there, and if I can, I won't. That breaks the whole group dynamic. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the other people. Um, it's a big commitment. It's not a Bible study. The goal is to live a life fully surrendered to the Lord. That's not easy for any of us. Um, but we want to teach effectively. We want to be prayerful in all things. But we want them to know it's a big, serious deal. Um, so some of the greatest highlights for me is seeing people come in so hungry for the Lord, so hungry for the Lord, and then a year later, them go out and take their own people. And then a year later, their people go out and take their people. 
There is nothing greater than seeing people come to know Christ and then seeing people walk in new life with him. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. Awesome. You know, I was telling Bill I was so honored humbly to be up here. As I look around this room, I know that I'm honored to be here. But I think any of you could be up here telling all of your testimonies about discipleship group, as you've just heard, what you have done in your discipleship, how you have been blessed in your discipleships. So I think any of you could do that. But as I was thinking about and praying through what I would love to share today, I want to take a different turn that God put on my heart. You know what I'd love to do is to do something that Bill had said earlier. And if you'll remember, let me say it again. What Bill said was, I want to put one central focus today. This one thing is my prayer and my aim. And that is for you to say, by the grace of God, I see myself as a Nehemiah, a leader who is rebuilding the wall to multiply disciple makers and fulfill the Great Commission. I have been so blessed to be a part of a discipleship group. I think I'm going nine or ten years now. I can just tell you real quickly that my, my desire to be a discipleship group and in a discipleship group was not there. I tell a lot of people when I share, I had the same voice that a lot of people out there have. They said, what's that voice? You're too busy. You don't have time. You can't do that. Yeah, I went through all of those things to one day at a deacon's meeting. I was at it coming out of the deacon's meeting, and I looked at Mike Hobday, and I said, Mike, are you doing a discipleship? He said, I'm starting one this year. He said, I said, put me in. It's just a habit, and I think most of you know what I say, I mean when I say it's just a habit. I love discipleship groups. I love getting up, and we have ours on uh, 6.30 or 7 on Fridays. We love that. It's just a pattern that we do. But in saying what I just said, I have, like some of you, had the joy to sit with Bill. I have had the opportunity to pray with Bill. I've had the opportunity to listen to his heart. I've had the opportunity to share some things when he needed some things to be shared with him, as many of you have. I've also heard Bill's heart. I've also been with Bill when he shared disappointments and discouragements, and I get that. So I wanted to tell you what I look at Bill Street as today. I look at Bill Street as my, your, our Nehemiah. To me, that's who Bill Street is. Amen. Now, our pastor has challenged Bill to take responsibility for this ministry. It's an awesome responsibility that Bill has. In fact, I shared with Bill and he'll remember this. I told Bill, he is my Nehemiah. I prayed for him, and I have faithful prayers. And he reminded me how much he appreciated me saying that. He did not dawn upon him that, but he is my Nehemiah. He's your Nehemiah. And I think that that's a part of what we are here to say today. And can I say this? Although a ministry and call to lead, it's just not easy. And just like Nehemiah's challenge that we've heard about, and it's a good story to read in the Bible, in building the wall... Yet Nehemiah or Bill did not waver from the calling or the challenge. Like the wall, the end is worthy of Bill's efforts, is worthy of our efforts. Amen. And a challenge Nehemiah had, and a challenge to my and your Bellevue Baptist Church wall building discipleship group, Bill Street, is they both could not and cannot build 
any wall at Bellevue Baptist Church discipleship groups without workers. Amen. Amen. Hello. Amen. Can't be done. Bill Street can't do it by himself. He is the Nehemiah trying to build a wall. And Nehemiah went out and found workers to help. That's us. You know, I could give you many testimonies as a part of discipleship group. You have them in your groups. You know what they are. And many of them are a blessing and they're heartache. One I would like to share in how we need to work in discipleship groups is how God called us. I met, a, I met a person I want to share with you as part of what we need to do, and I hope it will be an emphasis in what I pray that you are hearing my heart today. I want to introduce Jeff Hopkins to you. Jeff, stand up and tell him. I met Bobby uh, outside of my life group. I met Bobby outside of my life group probably eight or nine years ago. I thought he was a coach. I'm a retired coach. And I asked him, I said, are you, are you a coach? He said, no, I'm not a coach, but I play balls. So we got to know each other and had that in common and also had the love of the Lord in common. And shortly after that, he, he invited me. He said, hey, look, I want you to come and be in my discipleship group. And I thought, well, you know what? I've been a part of accountability groups before, and I think I'd like to do that. And I found out quickly how the Lord had blessed me by putting me in a discipleship group because it's not only accountability, but it's all the other things that we're talking about when we're talking about maturing as a Christian, becoming more Christ-like. I now have something that I've never had before. Amen. The Holy Spirit talks to me in, in a way that, that never before. Amen. It's like, Bill, I'll have somebody come out to my house and do yard work as an example, and I'll say, hey, man, thanks for coming out. Let me ask you something. How many children do you have? How many grandchildren do you have? Where do you go to church? And then, boom, I'm in a gospel conversation with them. Amen. And when Amen. I fail to do that, the Holy Spirit says, hey, dummy. That's you right. just missed a chance. It's a baseball coach. <laughs> <laughs> but I thank the Lord for Bobby for inviting me to that first discipleship group that we were involved with. And now we're going on about eight years together. So what you're doing is something that the Lord will continue to bless. Amen. Point is, I want to make is how special that is. But I met Jeff walking down the hall at Bellevue Baptist Church, and that's where it happened. Jeff would not be a part of discipleship today had he not been asked. So we need to do that. Uh, I also want to introduce you to some people, and all of you could do this. I understand that. I'm only doing this for emphasis of why we're here today. I want to introduce a guy to you named Robert Bartolotta. Robert Bartolotti is from Connecticut and a Yankee. And I would tell him that if he was standing here today because he knows how much I love him. He's one of those in my life group that Bill talked about, and you know him in your life group. I asked him for three years to hmm. be a part of my discipleship, to come be a part of it. Now I don't have time. Well, unbeknownst to him, his wife was praying that he would get in. He got in about three years ago. Robert would stand in here today, he would tell you. It is the best thing that ever happened to him to have an accountability group, men that love him, Amen. men that Amen. he loves, men Amen. that he can pray with, men that care about his hurts, his aches, and pains. I also want to introduce you to a guy named Mike Oates. Some of you may remember, you may not remember Mike Oates. Mike Oates was a city engineer at, 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 for the city of Memphis. 
And as politics happens, a new uh, mayor got elected and he was displaced. He went over to Springdale, Arkansas to be the city engineer. He retired over there, moved back to Memphis because this is where he wanted to be. Mike was invited by Jeff to be a part of our discipleship group. Mike came to us needing the accountability. Let me tell you the rest of the stories that you all know about, and they are out there. Mike came back, went to the doctor he went to before he left. The doctor said, now you're back. What do we have to do? We have to do a new workup. So they did a new workup, found a spot on Mike's liver. As it turned out, it was liver cancer. As it turned out, he was part of the discipleship group. We loved on him. We hugged each other. We went to surgery. God got him through all of that. But without us, I know Mike had a family, but he would tell you today that we were one of the biggest support groups he has. Hmm. Amen. It came back. Mike's in heaven. But let me tell you his lasting present. We do a lot of literature, and you know it. Mike turned us on to this book he wanted us to go through. Let me tell you what the title is, because this was Mike's heart when he came back. What is one thing you can't do in heaven? What is one thing you can't do in heaven? Lead somebody to Christ. You can't witness. You cannot lead anybody to Christ. Mike's heart was to learn how to lead people to Jesus, Bill. Amen. And he did that. My last remembrance of Mike Oates is when we knocked on doors at Bellevue Baptist Church, and he and I went to a neighborhood. If you go down Houston, uh, Macon past Vantage Point Golf Driving Range, there's a, every time I drive past that, I see Mike Oates. We banged on doors. We shared Jesus Christ. He would never have done that had he not come back and been a part of the discipleship group. That's what discipleship groups are all about. Amen. Let me close by saying this, Bill. How did you get to be a discipleship group? Somebody had to ask you, or the Holy Spirit had to speak to you. At some point in time, you felt the impression to be a part of a discipleship group. With love and respect to my friend Bill Street, my and your pastor can encourage everybody to get in a discipleship group, and they do. But who can speak directly to the mm. membership any better than you and I? Amen. We know those divine appointments are there, and you just have to keep asking them, as Tanya and everybody says. They are there, and every one of you could give examples like I did of men, ladies in this church that are hurting. We have to ask God to point him out. Ezekiel 22:30 says this. I look for someone, and that I is Jesus. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So please, let me let us see Bill as my and your and our Nehemiah, and let us see us as his co-workers to help build the Bellevue Discipleship Group Wall. I'll repeat, it is a decision you and I must personally embrace. Amen. It's not easy. It can or will get us out of our comfort zones. It is a lifelong worthy journey. If we as workers 
take that challenge and become wall workers, God will be glorified. Amen. And each of us will be blessed. Hey, thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me share. As I always say, it's all about Jesus. And may we all become Bellevue Baptist Discipleship Group wall workers for Amen. Nehemiah Bill. I'll let you put that back over there, brother, so we don't get feedback. Okay. Can't thank you. Thank them so Thank you so much for sharing that. I need to say amen and applaud. Hallelujah. Wrapping it up, say one thing, and then this last quote that we have here. Um, Admitted, I, I sense that. I mean, I see the heads nodding and all those things out there. And um, it's not just about you being that worker, it's you being that leader to initiate with others, with those other people in your class. It's, it's not, it is about you enlisting those people in your groups, but it's exhorting and encouraging and challenging those other people uh, that you know that have been or are involved in discipleship to continue uh, to, to move forward, to continue to multiply. Last statement, and Pastor, if you would, if you'll come on up here, I'm going to get you to close us in prayer. Last quote that we have here and that I love, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. True discipleship is not just about the Bible, reading it, memorizing it, meditating it, meditating on it and all that. It is not just about prayer, praying with one another, praying for one another, learning to hear the voice of God. It's not just about witnessing, learning to be a witness, modeling it, sharing it, telling the stories. It's not just about holiness. It's not just about breaking from strongholds. It's not just about maturing and all of the huge stuff that goes on here that is a big part of, of who we are as individuals in a church. And it's not just about multiplying. It is about all of those. And it is about people falling in love with, abiding in, Becoming like and living like Jesus. That's the goal. If they'll live like, if they'll be like and live like Jesus, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's just going to take care of itself. So um, that's the goal. Thank you for being here. Uh, Pastor, thank you for your uh, emphasis upon making disciples. You are constantly saying that. Thank you for watering, planting, and leading in the harvest. And uh, we couldn't be doing this uh, if it wasn't for your leadership. So God bless you and thank you. Amen. Oh, and fill out that card. There's a card on your table. Uh, you know, I want to, you know, and pray over it. If you're not quite ready, say, I want to be a Nehemiah. And then, you know, I'm in a group or I want to be in a group who's in my group. Uh, and whatever's on that card. And then don't forget also, to we've got resources over there for you to come and pick up, and David Bennett's going to be over there to help. By the way, these books are fantastic. If you've not read these books, uh, I read Atomic Habits, and it, it's a life changer. I would encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your command through the Lord Jesus to make disciples. 
of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you've commanded us. And you said, if we'll do that, behold, you'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you that when we are making disciples, you're with us. And Lord, uh, all we want to do is do what you tell us to do. Bless these precious people. Give them divine appointments with people. Sovereignly connect them with people, dear God, that need to be grounded in the Word of God. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a disciple-making church. Do it for your glory, we pray. And thank you for the good fellowship and the good food and the good time we've had here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.